on Saturday, February 8, 2019, at about 10.50 p.m., while I was preparing to sleep, I got a mail notification. The subject heading said, Chivney Update. And it read, Dear old YMEC, further to your recent application for a Chivney Award, we regret to inform you that we will not be taking your application any further on this occasion. The Chivney selection process is very competitive and only a limited number of awards are available. Due to the volume of applications we receive, we are unable to provide individual feedback. However, you can visit our website to find out more about Chivney selection criteria. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your interest and wish you every success in the future. You're welcome to reapply for a Chivney Award next year. Kind regards, Chivney Secretariat. That was one of the many rejection letters that followed. It went on for three years. I scouted every scholarship I could possibly get. Commonwealth, shit, Commonwealth, and shit, Commonwealth, Queen Elizabeth, Commonwealth, Tokyo, Swedish Government Scholarship, MasterCard Foundation Scholarship. It went on, and I was <laughs> devastated and thought a lot. Then I joined groups, and to my surprise, I soon find many young people like me who were searching for the same thing, who had either gotten scholarships after many attempts or were still very much at the game. They talked so loudly about it, laughed about the experiences. And to my surprise, they had this funny, very unexpected name for these males. They call them love letters. Hi, my name is Yemisio Jo, and this is what we made of chaos, the love letter series. In this episode, I'll be sharing with you Ngunan's love letter story. Ngunan, despite being a self-driven young Nigerian, graduated from the university with a third class due to some situations being her control. So um, growing up, basically, I was with my mom, my dad, and then um, three of my siblings, and I had a lot of fun growing up. Actually, I went to a private school, Tinamdo, and I was doing quite well. I was intelligent growing up. I had access to a lot of school materials. So education for me was important. And my parents kind of like valued education, especially my dad, because he came from a family where he was like the first person to go to school. So my dad basically was like all his kids must go to school to the highest level and all of that. So he made sure that every single person went to a good school and that was happening quite well. And then he died. So by the time my father died, it's more like when to start to school because there wasn't really funding for everybody to really go to a good school. It was like managing, patching, hand to mouth kind of living. And it was a lot of stress for my mom who just had a salon in modern market and Business wasn't that good where she was going to be training four children. And then in my year two, that's where everything came crashing. Because at this point, I really no longer had the kind of support I had during my secondary school. It was like I had to now take care of myself. I had to do a lot of things on my own. So I started doing modeling. I started doing a lot of things just to get money talking to people, writing letters to see if I could get sponsorship because I was still really young at that time. I remember that there were certain persons who were like family 
like maybe father's friends or some kind of things. And um, maybe some kind of people that you grew up and then became like your mentors, that kind of stuff. And there were times when I would need the support and these people knew that I was in this vulnerable situation where I needed this kind of support. And those people would try to want to use the position that they had to lure you into doing things that you didn't want to do. Like maybe want to date you, want to have sex with you in exchange for the support that they wanted to give to you. This kind of situations happened to me. So it was almost like I couldn't really ask anyone for help because the person wanted something in return. So what I did at that point was I stay kind of like missing classes a lot because traveling and all, I stay like failing my test. I stay failing exams because I had to struggle the money issue, the fee payment. So stability was no longer there. So I struggled through school during my university stage, but a lot of people didn't understand. So people just saw me as one unserious person. Nobody knew my story. Nobody knew what I had to face at home. Nobody knew what was going through in my mind. Nobody knew the kind of um, background that I had. So people just saw me and imagined that this girl is so intelligent, but she's wasting her life. Why is she not coming to school? Why is she not doing all of those things? And I was really emotional because some of those kind of things will easily affect me. If my mom was going through something, it would affect me. And then I'm not even able to concentrate at all. And because of that, I kind of like had a spillover in school and I had um, a spillover one year plus a semester even. I first got to know about Ungenan online in 2018. That was when I moved to Bene State for my national youth service. I got involved in the development sector and volunteered. So I had several friends on Facebook who shared her work. She has a, a foundation called Somewhere You Run Foundation and her foundation intervened a lot on education, gender equality, and uh, sometimes even at the internally displaced people's camps. So I sent a friend request to her on Facebook, and uh, we became friends. Ugunen had always dreamed of going abroad to further her studies through scholarship. And then now, five years later, she is seated in her York University dormitory on a Saturday morning telling me how she got here. Not on scholarship, as she hoped, but as a self-funded student. After my school, I was teaching in a school and I was being paid 10,000 naira per month. That was my salary. Now imagine that I continued on that trend. Whatever I was earning, the, the difference would still be so much from now. I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to, I wanted to break free of poverty. I wanted to break free of a lot of the limitations that being in my environment was limiting me to having. And it wasn't possible for me to break free if I was still in that same environment, talking to those same people, doing the same things that I was doing. There wasn't going to be any change. So for me to reach that level, I had to talk to people that were not in my environment. I needed to take up challenges to learn things that were not within my environment. There were certain things that at that stage I was doing that a lot of people were not doing within my environment. And it's very easy for you to like feel like, oh, I've done so much. I'm proud of myself. When it comes to this environment, I'm like the champion. I, I started feeling that way as well. Because at a point it felt like, oh, Gunan, you're doing so great. You've done this organization. You're done with school. You're married, you're doing all of these things. You have all of these opportunities. You're going for events within Nigeria. You're, you're a one champion. You're doing all of this. You've gone to law school, this, that, that. 
it wasn't enough for me because I felt like I needed to learn more, not just about my environment. I wanted to know why the UK, for example, have certain better policies than we did. I wanted to understand why when people school in different countries, why their certificate was regarded as being more powerful than us. I wanted to experience all of those things. And especially because I had a tech class from school, I understood the kind of limitations I was going to have towards getting a very good job. So I knew that just being in my environment, the kind of opportunities that were available to me wasn't much. So I needed to actually take a stand and make a decision for myself that I knew was going to change my life, change my family, change my environment, because I knew what that power could bring. I wanted to sit at certain tables and also be part of certain decisions that were being made as regarding policies that affect women, policies that affect education, policies that affected mental health, especially because at the point of growing up, I didn't even understand all the things I was experiencing then that I was going through maybe mental uh, issues like anxiety because I had anxiety a lot growing up. I had panic attacks that have continued to impact me up until now. But I didn't understand or target into any of those things because there was no space for me to learn those things as at that time. But leaving my environment, in fact, relocating first to Lagos, going to law school in Lagos, meeting different species of people, going for my first international yearly conference in Ghana, where I met like different people. That was when my eye really opened. I'm like, what? Because at this point in Bainway State, people will be like, Gunan is doing amazing. By the time I went for the yearly program, I saw people I was 10 years older than, people I was five years older than. These people were doing amazing in their own communities already. And I'm like, what? Where was I all this while? Why wasn't I doing these things at this person's age? But these were people that were already doing so much. And those are the people that became my friends. Like I was older than every single one of them. And it was a challenge for me. I didn't feel intimidated, but I was now starting to learn. These people knew more than I did. So if I didn't even go to these positions, if I didn't meet these people, there are so many things I wouldn't have known. But because I moved, I met them, I encountered them. I worked in those workshops, those fellowships. It's like my brain's there opening. Like I was learning new things that I had no opportunity to even learn before. I, my, my ambition even now kept growing because maybe the thing I initially wanted to do, it now expanded when I met those people. At the point, I now got opportunity to do like research work. I was now part of like two different research grants, which I met those people because I was moving out. And then at this point, I had the encounter to be like a co-investigator on a research project that had a lot of elite people on it, professors from universities, universities abroad, University of Ibadan in Nigeria. And I'm like, wow, you're working with these people and you're part of like the team team. Like I wasn't a floor member. I was part of the decision makers in all of those groupings. And after that period, after that one particular research work, I'm like, these people, they were mostly lecturers in these universities and they were researchers. And that was when my mind started opening to, okay, Ngunan, at first you wanted to even do human rights law. But how about you even do research? Because now this research is more even connected to your career. It's even more connected to the development work you're doing. Because if you want to actually fight a core issue, a core problem, you needed to understand why and what is causing that problem, what you can do to make changes for that problem not to happen again. I wasn't going to sit back in Nigeria and learn those things. I wasn't going to learn those things by just Googling them. I had to be where 
I would take part in practical learnings. And that was when I started actually applying for graduate school. And the intention was apply, get full funding, move. And <laughs> I did apply to over 25 schools. I applied to schools in UK. I didn't even apply to any school in Canada at all because they already said Canada wasn't accepting third class. So I didn't even try anything. But majority of the schools I applied to were like in the UK, especially because I was also browsing schools that would take a third class and all of that. And then I was browsing scholarships and I saw Chevening, Commonwealth Scholarship. There were so many scholarships. So I felt like with some of them where they said it wasn't like merit based, where it's going to be need based as well or based on your personal experiences, your work experiences, I felt like. Okay, at least when it comes to work experience, I kind of feel qualified, especially because of what I've done with my background, my work background already. Alas, it wasn't to be so. <laughs> at some point, Ungunan realized that despite her best effort, her story, her motivation, and uh, even her uh, very strong work track record, she still could not get a scholarship. So, but I had hope because my work background was kind of like really strong because I'd done like a lot of volunteer work. I've done like leadership positions. I've managed projects. So I felt like with those opportunities, with those volunteer works and all of that, if I would apply to a lot of scholarship, at least I was going to get one. So I finished law school in 2018 and in 2019, I started actually applying for schools and scholarship, whatever school I applied to, I applied to scholarship. Now, I feel like my whole ambition thing also played out at this point because I wanted to not just go to any kind of school. <laughs> so I think that also played a part. I was looking at going to a really, really good school, a top ranked school. Because at the point I had two courses in mind that I wanted to do, which was international human rights law or international social policy. And the universities that actually had for international human rights law, a lot of universities had that course, obviously. So it wasn't like a real debate, but it came a time when there was like a real struggle for me to really see whether I wanted to really do international human rights law, especially because I was already working in the development sector. I felt like having the international social policy at this point was more crucial to even my career than the international human rights law degree. And the schools that actually were doing international uh, social policy, the type that I even wanted, the kind that I would be like, oh, this school has everything that I want, were the really top ranked school. So there was even like a lot of competition into getting those schools already. So the first school I applied to for the U.S., and I don't know, I didn't really have it. I don't know. I had kind of a bias about US. So I just applied to one school. I got the, the scholarship. I got their scholarship. I got a merit scholarship, actually, from the university in US. And um, it was a 60% funding. So they were giving me 60% and then I had to fund the rest myself. And then I got the International Peace Women Scholarship, which was like 5,000 US dollars for the US school as well. But I was now getting to compare a lot of things because for the school in US, it was a two-year course. So obviously the financial implications was like much more. And the schools in US, some of times like you can't compare the tuition to schools in UK. So the money I needed to pay for like the school in UK was like 
the money that was remaining for me to pay for the school for the US. Like I even still needed to top it. And this was a school that came with scholarship. So I was not thinking how the scholarship was even helping me in the first place because there was still the living expenses. There was a lot of things that I needed to still consider. So already it was like so much for me obviously. And at the end of the day, I had to make that difficult choice. And then when I applied to schools in UK, I applied to a lot of schools. I applied to Bradford University. I got um, a 5,000 pounds scholarship in Bradford, but the school in Bradford actually I applied for because I wasn't seeing the course that I really wanted. So at this point I was now saying, okay, let me just apply for certain courses in case when it just means maybe if I just want to really move and it's not really about the course, then I could consider some other courses. So for those kind of courses, I was considering like um, master's in development. So I got peace development in Bradford and then a 5,000 pounds. And then I got admission in Liverpool with 2,000 pounds uh, tuition deduction as well. And then the rest was like all top round schools. And I got, I got University of Dundee. I got... Um, Queen Mary University. So they were like, I kind of like got admission in so many good schools. The problem was the scholarships. And then for the schools that I actually really, really now wanted, the top was London School of Economics, obviously, because it had like the best when it came to international social policy. So for me, that was like the school I really wanted to go to. And I saw someone post today where they said, the, the, they wrote about the, the sent an application and they got rejection in two minutes. And <laughs> that came to mind. <laughs> but like, yeah. So I didn't get that. They were just waiting for you to send it. And my rejection came in quite early as well. It wasn't like two minutes or two days, but my rejection was like maybe within a space of two weeks, I got rejected from London School of Economics. My bachelor's degree wasn't sufficient. And then that even though my CV was good and then my law school was good, they can't make a decision by just that alone. They needed to make decision using this. And then because the school is also very competitive for people to get in, that means that they have like a lot of first class, a lot of two, one and all of that. So for you, a tech class person to even really get into it, um, Bristol was also part of it. And I didn't also get into Bristol. Um, I applied for university, St. Andrews University as well. I didn't get it. I applied to University of Birmingham. I didn't get it. And then I applied to University of York. So when I was even applying to University of York, I'm like, I'm just trying my luck because when I saw their requirements and also read about their research and so many other things, and then the people that previously graduated from York, and then I saw that a lot of social research in the UK, most of them also came from York. Like it had to be lecturers from the University of York and all of those things. So I'm like, at this point, let me just be trying because <laughs> I'm not sure this school would even accept me. And then there were certain schools that I didn't actually really rep and some of them still rejected me. So then, <laughs> then when University of Liverpool and some of, because University of Liverpool is a Russell um, university. So they're like the elite universities kind of. So I'm like, how did this other school reject me and this other school accepted me? So my mindset about certain rejections was also like changing at the point. So I felt like it had to do with a lot of things. It's not just about because you have a tech class. It's also about the number of people that applied that year. It's about the number of people that had very good grades as well, because they're not also just going to be looking at your work 
experience. They're obviously going to be looking at um, your academics. They are going to be looking at your research work, which at that point, I didn't have so much in that regard. So you have people from other countries where they've all already done publications, several publications. I didn't have none of those things. So there were already limitations on my part. So by the time I was learning some of the things people had used to get certain admissions and stuff, I'm like, okay, so these are things that I don't have that even if I try to do now, it's kind of will be late for me. When I even got into York, so York even sent me a mail as well. I think York also sent me a mail within two weeks that I don't qualify. And at this point, I'm like, every school that sends me a message of rejection, I send a message back to them. I'm like, go and check back my CV. Go and check back my um, law school results and all of that. So even if maybe I've made a mistake in my undergraduate, maybe there, should, there had been a circumstance that actually led me to getting the kind of grade I had. And I don't feel like that defines me. So I shouldn't lose out on certain opportunities because I had tech class from university when I have a lot of prospects and all of those things. And in some schools, it worked. Like University of Nottingham, for example. University of Nottingham rejected me as well. And when I told them to look back on my CV and all of those things, they came back with an offer for me and I was admitted. For University of York, they were very impressed with my CV. So they, they actually even stated that um, I don't meet the qualifications and all of those things. But my work experience, especially because it was a research um, social science kind of department, the, the, the research work that I've done already, especially because I work on like two research um projects that were actually funded by top organizations with the anti-slavery network and another by Miserio and all of that. So those kind of impacted um, the decision that the school made. So they were now like, okay, they were going to do an interview for me. And if I scaled through the interview, then I was going to get admitted. So for University of York, I had um, an interview and then I had an interview with like the head of the department. And it was a walk in the park, like I said, because we're actually now talking on gender issues. My interview was kind of like in that area. And it was something that I was so interested in that the head of the department was like, I have really strong opinions about all of the things that we're talking about. So and right there at that interview, the truth is I already knew I was going to get in. I already knew. Because... Kind of, there are certain interviews though that I've had that went so well that everybody was smiling at the end of the day, I got rejections. <laughs> I got rejections, but I was so positive about how the conversation went and all of those. And within two days, actually, I got my letter of offer that I was being accepted into the department and all of that. So now I got admission in these top schools, Liverpool, University of York, Nottingham, Queen Mary University. I got admission in all those because I, I couldn't get scholarship in any of the schools for that first year. Besides like the partial scholarship, I was getting the 5,000, the 2,000. And some of this 5,000 and 2,000 were happening in schools that I didn't really want to go to. So I deferred all of my admission for all of these schools because I didn't get what I wanted. Chevening, zero. I was rejected. Commonwealth scholarship, I was rejected. <laughs> Every scholarship I applied for, I didn't get any of them. So I felt like, what's all this? Like, do I have to struggle for everything this way? Like, and at this point, I won't lie, I was even getting depressed because I felt like, is it the third class thing alone? Like, so even when at the first time when I wasn't really feeling the third class issue, when I would try for it not to impact me, it came back. Because I was like, if only I had done better, I won't be going through all of these things. Because there were certain schools that, even because of the kind of grade you had, 
the kind of tuition deduction they will give you would be higher than someone who is with a third class. At that point, I was kind of losing hope in a lot of things because at this point, I've tried, I applied for Commonwealth uh, the second year, I applied for Chevening the second year, same story. Still didn't get in. I applied to all the scholarship in all of those schools, still didn't get in. In a school, I would apply to all, like I would literally sleep on my laptop looking for scholarship. I was looking, even 5,000 scholarship I was looking for, like 5,000 pounds I was looking for. Because I felt like if I would get 5,000 pounds scholarship, five places, that's something already. Like I will add everything up. So 1,000, 3,000, I was applying for every single thing. I wrote to NGOs, international nonprofit organizations. I wrote to government officials. I wrote, I did different things. So that I was able to like raise funds. Nothing worked. Two years later, Gunan decided that if she was going to achieve her dreams, she would probably never do that through a scholarship. And in 2021, I was like, if I was going to depend on this whole scholarship thing, I might really never go to the school. Like, I won't be able to get this education that I want. I won't be able to start doing those things that I need to do. Like, I, it will start, it will keep extending. So I'm like, maybe this scholarship isn't for me. Maybe God doesn't want it for me because how do I explain all the things that I've gone through in life? Maybe this is my life. I just really have to struggle for a lot of things. It was sad, but I felt like at that point, that was a reality and I had to accept it. Else, there were so many things that I would not be able to do. And because at this point I was in Lagos, I was already spending a lot of money because where we're staying in Lagos was quite expensive. The life in Lagos was already as though you were in a certain kind of country. It was quite expensive. And then there was this notion about you living in certain places where people feel like you've made it already. And I'm like, if I'm going through all of these things at this point, then let me fuel all of that energy and try seeing if I can actually sponsor myself to school in this environment. Because maybe if I school in this environment, maybe I'll have better opportunities. Maybe I'll have access to better job, better pay. And life will be better for everybody because I felt like my progress was kind of also like a progress for the nonprofit. Because if I grow, it also grows. My family also grows. And then every other person around me is also going to grow. I'm going to have enough to also share when I'm in a better space. So at the point, I had said, oh, this admission that I deferred, I wrote to them. I said, okay, I'm attending this year and all of those things. And at the point I was like, well, now it's not even possible. You can't do it. There's no scholarship. There's no nothing. How, how do you, how do you want to start? It's a lot of fees. University of York is 18,700 pounds. Like, how do I start? And then this is excluding living expensive funding for the nonprofit, for example, because then I was using personal funds to do a lot of projects. That still needed to happen. So how am I going to get money to do all of these things together? And I was like, okay, one step at a time. And I wrote to the school and I'm like, okay, I'm going ahead. I actually didn't make that decision on time because I talked a lot about it. I'm like, so it was even towards like 29th of July. That was when I wrote to the school that I'm resuming September. And they were like, am I sure? I was like, I'm sure. And I started applying for jobs in UK already, doing interviews. And second week of August, at this point, I needed to pay £2,000 to get my cast. 
So I had saved a lot, all the savings that I've done and everything. I'm like, Kunan, aside this 2,000 pounds that you have now, there's no way you can get money again. Like, it's not even possible. <laughs> because this is like your entire life savings. So there's no way. There's nothing you can do. There's nobody you write to now that is going to help you. Because first of all, people are going to be like, oh, so you have money, you want to even study abroad now. So when you study, why are you coming to look for money to study abroad? So I thought of all those things. So I'm like, huh, this, if I pay this money, even the visa, even the school fees, what will I get? Like, this is it though. But I also knew that if I didn't make that decision, I wasn't going to do it. So I took a risk. A risk that I'm not going to say, oh, people should go about and do. Check your own self. This is personal to me again, like I said. But I closed my eye. And one day I opened my laptop and I paid that £2,000. With the first part paid, Ngunan had to find ways to secure funding for the rest of her journey. So she did the last thing on her mind. She asked her husband if he could come with her. Surprised, he said yes. And then they sold their entire property to raise funds and started planning for what was to be a fresh start. It was like really funny because like we made decision already. We already wrote to the landlord. We're like, we're not renewing our rent. We're leaving Lagos. <sighs> we're not like, okay, we're doing all these things. If, if this whole thing backfires, what happens? What like we're selling up our fridge, we're selling our mattress, we're selling pillows, bed sheets, blankets, every single thing. They did every other thing they could do to get visa and visa appointments and even get some help and advice from senior friends. And then they headed to Benue State to stay with their parents where they waited every day anxiously for one week for news about their visa application. So one fine morning, I just got a message that passports have arrived. So now... Oh God, I was so tense. Like I was shaking. When I arrived, I'm like, I can't collect this. And I'll send somebody else to collect it and open because I couldn't even know because I'm like, we've sold every, that was when it was real clear to me. Like we've sold every single thing. We didn't have anything. We didn't have money. We didn't have a car. We didn't have any appliance. We sold every single thing. What do we do if this doesn't work? And they opened it and they started screaming, like, you guys got it, you guys got it. <laughs> and so with about 55,000 never left in her hand and even less in the hands of her husband, Ngunan and her husband, Vanin, set out to York in the United Kingdom with hope and an undoubting determination to make a better life for themselves. Again, this story is probably not about happy endings. It is about resilience. How much one is able to hold together without breaking. And Ngunan tried all she could. We settled in and then within two weeks, I got a job. I actually oh. got several offers. I got a job that at least was paying me a certain kind of money that if... Uh, my payment structure was going to be a monthly installment. It would really be able to help put like that pressure off me. 
I wrote to the school first of all, because they have like a payment structure where you pay your accommodation in three installments. We negotiated, I spoke to them and I just laid it um, flat that I wasn't going to be able to like pay the way that they've structured it. Like it's not helpful for me. So if I was going to be paying in monthly installments, it's easier. So they accepted they accepted the conditions, but they were like, for my tuition, I have to pay in those three installments. So for my tuition, I'm not like, okay, so I have to now work on that part. So the first installment I needed to pay was um, the end of October. So at this point, I was working through it to get the money, did all of the things I needed to do. I did a lot of work. I wasn't sleeping. I think I was barely sleeping up to five hours during that period just trying to source for funds to do every kind of work that I could do and everything. It wasn't aligning. So at a point I had to resort to like asking for loans and all of that. So I spoke to a couple of friends, lucky for me, one of my friends had two of her friends lend money to her for me. So she was like the guarantor. So they lent her the money and then she gave to me. So that's why I was able to get the money to pay like my first installment. So I finished paying all of the, those. And then by the time I finished paying, time came for my next installment already. And then somehow, luckily, God helped. I'd gathered money at this point. I paid the installment. And then at this point, I was like getting so proud of myself because when I look at the money, it's like so much, but the pressure was so much. I was doing all of these things. I was trying to be happy as well, trying to enjoy school, trying to immerse myself in the program, especially because I didn't want the mistake of failing to reoccur. I didn't want to get so depressed, so mentally deranged that I would not be able to concentrate in school because every single day I'm thinking of fees, I'm thinking of problems. I needed to focus. So I was trying to drown out the voices and all of those things. But this was the hardest part of, I think, relocating because people didn't understand. So whatever pressure I felt while I was in Lagos, at this point, I was feeling it times 100. Nobody understood the fact that I would like... I came up publicly to even say I was self-funding so people understand the pressure that maybe is involved in this whole thing. But I felt maybe even talking about the fact that I was self-funding, people didn't really get the picture. People felt like if you're self-funding, it means you actually have the money to pay. But for you to have that money, you needed to do a lot of things. And a lot of students in these spaces have to go through a lot to actually fund themselves. People do jobs, people hardly rest, people... People work hours that they shouldn't be working. People don't sleep. People are restless because there's a pressure of you working. There's a pressure of you thinking if you can meet up paying the fees. There's a pressure of the food. There's the transportation. There's the other utility bills you need to pay. And then if you are in a space where maybe you contribute a lot as well to the welfare of your family, that's a lot of responsibility as well. And then coming from the development sector, office needed to run because we even have like a physical office space. There were maintenances that needed to happen every now and then. At a point I was becoming so violent. I was becoming so aggressive. When somebody tells me a problem, I'll just scream. I'll be like, please, please, please don't tell, don't talk to me about this. Such that whenever something happens, sometimes even my family will not tell me about it till maybe days later. And they'll be like, they didn't want to burden me anymore. They didn't want to, because sometimes like, Today, I'm hearing AC in the office is spoiled. Tomorrow, this particular thing is spoiled. All the laptops are no longer working. I'm like, 
what, like, why does my life have to be filled with so much struggle? And at one point I was so overwhelmed and I made a post on Twitter seeking for funds, trying to crowdfund so that maybe I get money to like pay off a certain amount of it. So I don't have to like be burdened so much with it again. Like I still have responsibility to do some, but like just take small out of it. I posted on social media, tagged some certain persons. There was a lot of retweets. There were a lot of likes to get attention and all of that. Nothing happened. And I went back to this position of thinking, it's like my life is just like that. Like some people post one or two things and somebody comes, ah, let me sponsor you for the whole trip. Oh, let me pay your fees. That never happens for me. And I looked back after two days, there was no positive reaction. Nobody understood it. Nobody looked at it. God didn't do the miracle I was hoping would happen there where somebody would maybe just stumble on it and be like, oh, let me support this person. And I deleted it because I felt like sometimes you put your life out there, you you bring down the pride, you become so vulnerable, you share your story, you need the support, but it doesn't get the required energy that you think it will get. And then it pushes you back to that whole depressed state that you are alone. And then I start feeling, for me, people don't understand. People want me to do things, but I'm here. I also need things, but nobody's understanding that I need things. Even when I made that post, people still didn't understand that I needed things. People would still send messages asking for things every single day people are discussing their problems and then I have a lot of problems as well so it now came to a point where I actually started attending like a mental health class because I started thinking a lot of bad things I think I was in a very bad space at the time I was complaining to my friends a lot about everything not working for me in my life December was like the most traumatic I've been in my entire life such that I was having like chest pains, very painful chest pains, such that there was a certain time an ambulance actually came to my home. That happened in December. I couldn't write my essays during that period until the deadline because I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think. I was having headache. I was always like, at the point, I felt like I was running mad. But it was so depressing for me. But I, each turn, when people come to me and talk about their issues, I had to listen. But nobody knew what I was going through. And when I spoke about my own issues, people would still be like, oh, your situation is still better. So I felt like nobody is going to truly understand because you being here is already, everybody feels like it's already better for you. So whatever you're going through, nobody cares to listen. Somebody tells you they need 50,000, they need 5,000, and they look at the 5,000 as being such a small amount for you. But in some of those days, I didn't even have one pound in my account. So this stage is probably the most challenging for every graduate student living home. We call it the black task. I mean, we have a culture that supports one another, and there's really nothing wrong with that. But to what extent is one person expected to be at this burden, go on and on, like they have no need for support, especially emotional support. We don't talk about this enough. And I was really glad that Ugunan was really vulnerable enough to talk about it. And when I deleted that post, I told myself, try again, walk, walk your ass off, try, pay some off. And in January, I did that. 
I paid. And it was remaining just at this point, 4,000 plus pounds. And I was like, wow, I did it. From 18,700 to 4,000. As I'm sitting here now, I have 9,900 pounds to go to complete my fees. 900 pounds from 18,700 to 900 pounds. That's the only money I need now to pay my fees and be done with my tuition. And I've submitted all my school essays already. I'm writing my dissertation. So I'm almost done. And then because of my skills, because of all of the work that I've put into school as a network coordinator, I was nominated to contest for a sabbatical officer position as well. So all of those things, I feel people don't really uh, understand the gravity of the pressure that international students go through. Scholarship students even go through a lot. Then imagine a self-funding student because I have friends that are on scholarship and they go through a lot. They are complaining, oh, I don't even have money to travel to this place. What money will I use? These are people on scholarship. And then imagine someone who is self-funding to pay a tuition of 18700 They have living expenses. They have responsibilities. They have to eat. And then you know that's not the only thing you get to pay and life as well. You need to go to spaces. Bus is not free. So all of these things compound is why I feel a lot of students that school abroad easily are depressed. So you see even suicide rate is higher for people in the international abroad climbs than maybe in our local communities because of all the pressures that people go on. And then because people actually don't want you to see that maybe they don't want to help or whatever pressure that you've put them in. They want to actually live up to that expectation that you have of them. It means that they have to bottle up all of the suffering and do giveaways, support people, even when they don't have for themselves. So this is like the reality of majority of international students. And this is my own story, what I go through. A lot of times, life will not go the way that we've planned for it to go to. Even the best students sometimes don't get scholarship. So it's okay that we read articles, we see everybody posting, consultants posting about scholarships and all of these things. But the truth a lot of people won't tell you is not every single person will get a scholarship, no matter how good you are. It's not possible. There are so many good people. There are so many qualifying people. And the scholarship is not just enough to go around. What else are you doing to help support yourself through school if it comes to that? If you don't get the scholarship, do you think of self-funding? Do you have what it takes to self-fund? You need to know about all of the mental stress involved in it, you need to know how to talk to people already to understand like whatever platform that is being provided for you have supportive people around you, because if you don't even have supportive people around you, you could leave that journey halfway. There are people who have quit school in the middle or even at the start and be like, I can't do this anymore. Those things have happened. Have you equipped yourself such that when you come to even the spaces where you want to go to UK, Canada, all of these countries, you have people rushing to employ you. Because when you get very good jobs, you can actually be able to self-fund yourself. They're actually, if you could actually even get very, very good spaces to work in, they're actually workspaces that can decide to actually fund your education, depending on how valuable you are to them. So these things can happen, but are you that person? Have you made yourself into being that person?
So acquiring skills, learning how to be 10 steps ahead of whatever situation that is coming for you. Because I feel like one important thing for me was that I stay applying for jobs already in the UK before I got into UK already was doing interviews. So that interview already kind of shaped my understanding as to how the interview system in UK worked, like their work system, how the, the panel. So by the time I was, I did like three, four interviews, I was no longer scared. Whenever I go to any place, I will say what I want to say. And then I move on. If I get it, I don't get it, whatever. I'm able to negotiate salary because I knew that it's not okay for you to just even take what the company throws out you, that you have the power to negotiate. Your school could have, there are so many schools that have like seven months installment to pay fees. There are some schools that have three months. Talk to them, write to them, negotiate. Can they do a better offer for you? You can get jobs in the school where you don't even need to leave your school to go elsewhere to work. But you need to have skills to actually do those things. You need to plan ahead. to act. So if you're planning to self-fund yourself, don't be like me and plan one month. You probably won't be as lucky as I am. I wouldn't even say I'm lucky. I've worked so hard. I've done a lot of things. But still yet, I had a lot of setback. I suffered a lot of things. Oh, well, I think we ended on a good note. A good one, actually. The reality of being an international student abroad, especially a self-funded one, has gone unnoticed. We have many people covering up wounds with cosmetics and great pictures, you know, beautiful backgrounds, even when they want to talk about how they feel. And sometimes we feel they are not grateful enough for their better life. Earlier this semester in September, I had an accident that got me leaping for a week. I still have not healed totally. And after that, I got the news that the luggage I sent over had been officially declared lost. At the same time, <laughs> I am navigating a new system, the third in a year. Am I grateful? Yes. Do I have struggles? Yes. Will I do it again if given the chance? Well, yes too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Letters. I hope you have enjoyed listening to Nganan's story and felt inspired by it as I did. Feel free to send e-feedback to my mail at yemisiojoelaz at gmail.com and subscribe to the Made of Kios podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, follow the rest of the series where I bring you more love letters. Special thanks to Ngunan for sharing her story. Aviolua, Nua and Inwilade supported the conceptualization of this story and uh, Jude Hindan from the Made of Kios podcast team has been doing a great job of getting the words out. So follow us on Twitter at Made of Kios. Bye.